Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to my podcast, Grab It Quick News. This is the fifth episode of season three and the fourth podcast during the coronavirus. But I still want to give a huge thanks to everyone who is listening and a big shout out to my friends who are writing me. All right, let's get started. A gentle reminder, if you are not 18 or older, you should not be listening to this without your parents' consent. Let's get it. CDC tips and reminders for coronavirus updated. The CDC is now recommending that people wear face masks in public places when entering public places like stores, public transit, post offices. It is mainly to prevent those who are asymptomatic or those who have symptoms from spreading the virus. Although our current president says he won't be wearing one, because we suspect it's going to probably be orange from spray tan, the First Lady has contradicted him issuing a statement everyone should be following who in CDC guidelines. No face mask? Got sewing skills? Joanne's Fabrics is issuing free mask making materials. So just go to your local Joanne's or check out their online face mask tutorial on how to make an effective face mask on YouTube. The CDC still recommends that we eliminate face touching and our finger transfers the virus to our nose, our eyes, and our mouth 12 times per hour to eat lots of great leafy greens and fruits high in vitamin D, vitamin C because it will help boost our immune systems. We should also be hand washing. So we should be tripling our hand washing. So if you wash your hands three times a day, it should be six times a day. If you do six times a day, then make it nine times a day but you wanna wash your hands properly. And the key is to concentrate on the fingertips and wash for 20 seconds. And remember, friction, friction, friction. We wanna still get enough sleep. We still need seven to eight hours per night. We need to exercise at home regularly. We could aim for 30 minutes every other day, or we could do 15 minutes every day. Handshakes and hugs are canceled. So remember, handshaking and hugging can transfer 10 times more germs than a fist bump. So we're gonna disinfect our surfaces by using the spray wipe spray method. We're gonna improve our air quality by getting a humidifier because viruses dislike humid air. And we're also going to do a namaste. We're gonna meditate because meditating is known to support and boost your immune system. On April 14th, Tuesday of 2020, President Barack Obama comes out swinging and endorses Joe Biden. He had this to say. I'm so proud to endorse Joe Biden for President of the United States. Choosing Joe to be my vice president was one of the best decisions I ever made, and he became a close friend. And I believe Joe has all the qualities we need in a president right now. He's someone whose own life has taught him how to persevere, how to bounce back when you've been knocked down. 
Joe talks with parents who've lost their jobs. We hear the son of a man who once knew the pain of having to tell his children that he'd lost his. When Joe talks about opportunity for our kids, we hear the young father who took the train home each night so he could tuck his children into bed. And we hear the influence of Jill, a lifelong teacher. When Joe talks to families who've lost a hero, we hear another parent of an American veteran, a kindred spirit, somebody whose faith has endured the hardest loss there is. That's Joe. Through all his trials, he's never once forgotten the values or the moral fiber that his parents passed on to him and that made him who he is. That's what steals his faith in God, in America, and in all of us. That steal made him an incredible partner when I needed one the most. Joe was there as we rebuilt from the Great Recession and rescued the American auto industry. He was the one asking what every policy would do for the middle class and everyone striving to get into the middle class. That's why I asked him to implement the Recovery Act, which saved millions of jobs and got people back on their feet. Because Joe gets stuff done. Joe helped me manage H1N1 and prevent the Ebola epidemic from becoming the type of pandemic we're seeing now. He helped me restore America's standing and leadership in the world on the other threats of our time, like nuclear proliferation and climate change. Joe has the character and the experience to guide us through one of our darkest times and heal us through a long recovery. And I know he'll surround himself with good people. Experts, scientists, military officials who actually know how to run the government and care about doing a good job running the government and know how to work with our allies and who will always put the American people's interests above their own. Now, Joe will be a better candidate for having run the gauntlet of primaries and caucuses alongside one of the most impressive Democratic fields ever. Each of our candidates were talented and decent, with a track record of accomplishment, smart ideas, and serious visions for the future. And that's certainly true of the candidate who made it farther than any other, Bernie Sanders. Bernie's an American original, a man who has devoted his life to giving voice to working people's hopes, dreams, and frustrations. He and I haven't always agreed on everything, but we've always shared a conviction that we have to make America a fairer, more just, more equitable society. We both know that nothing is more powerful than millions of voices calling for change. And the ideas he's championed, the energy and enthusiasm he inspired, especially in young people, will be critical in moving America in a direction of progress and hope. Because for the second time in 12 years, we'll have the incredible task of rebuilding our economy. And to meet the moment, the Democratic Party will have to be bold. You know, I could not be prouder of the incredible progress that we made together during my presidency. But if I were running today, I wouldn't run the same race or have the same platform as I did in 2008. The world is different. There's too much unfinished business for us to just look backwards. We have to look to the future. Bernie understands that, and Joe understands that. It's one of the reasons that Joe already has what is the most progressive platform of any major party nominee in history. 
because even before the pandemic turned the world upside down, it was already clear that we needed real structural change. The vast inequalities created by the new economy are easier to see now, but they existed long before this pandemic hit. Health professionals, teachers, delivery drivers, grocery clerks, cleaners, the people who truly make our economy run, they've always been essential. And for years, too many of the people who do the essential work of this country have been underpaid, financially stressed, and given too little support. And that applies to the next generation of Americans. Young people graduating into unprecedented unemployment. They're going to need economic policies that give them faith in the future and give them relief from crushing student loan debt. So we need to do more than just tinker around the edges with tax credits or underfunded programs. We have to go further to give everybody a great education, a lasting career, and a stable retirement. We have to protect the gains we made with the Affordable Care Act. But it's also time to go further. We should make plans affordable for everyone, provide everyone with a public option, expand Medicare, and finish the job so that health care isn't just a right, but a reality for everybody. We have to return the U.S. to the Paris Agreement and lead the world in reducing the pollution that causes climate change. But science tells us we have to go much further, that it's time for us to accelerate progress on bold new green initiatives that make our economy a clean energy innovator, save us money, and secure our children's future. Of course, Democrats may not always agree on every detail of the best way to bring about each and every one of these changes. But we do agree that they're needed. And that only happens if we win this election. Because one thing everybody has learned by now is that the Republicans occupying the White House and running the U.S. Senate are not interested in progress. They're interested in power. They've shown themselves willing to kick millions off their health insurance and eliminate pre-existing condition protections for millions more, even in the middle of this public health crisis, even as they're willing to spend a trillion dollars on tax cuts for the wealthy. They've given polluters unlimited power to poison our air and our water and denied the science of climate change, just as they denied the science of pandemics. Repeatedly, they've disregarded American principles of rule of law and voting rights and transparency. Basic norms that previous administrations observed regardless of party. Principles that are the bedrock of our democracy. So our country's future hangs on this election. And it won't be easy. The other side has a massive war chest. The other side has a propaganda network with little regard for the truth. On the other hand, pandemics have a way of cutting through a lot of noise and spin to remind us of what is real and what is important. This crisis has reminded us that government matters. It's reminded us that good government matters. That facts and science matter. Rule of law matters. That having leaders.
who are informed and honest and seek to bring people together rather than drive them apart. Those kind of leaders matter. In other words, elections matter. Right now, we need Americans of goodwill to unite in a great awakening against a politics that too often has been characterized by corruption, carelessness, self-dealing, disinformation, ignorance, and just plain meanness. And to change that, we need Americans of all political stripes to get involved in our politics and our public life like never before. Of us who believe in building a more just, more generous, more democratic America where everybody has a fair shot at opportunity, for those of us who believe in a government that cares about the many and not just the few, for those of us who love this country and are willing to do our part to make sure it lives up to its highest ideals, now's the time to fight for what we believe in. So join us. Join Joe. Go to JoeBiden.com right now. Make a plan for how you are going to get involved. Keep taking care of yourself and your families and each other. Keep believing in the possibilities of a better world. And I will see you on the campaign trail as soon as I can. Thanks. All right, you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> We've reached the second half of my podcast. This is the letters to Jessica. So let's get started. Our first letter is from a female in Atlanta. She writes, Dear Jessica, I am a 27-year-old African-American female. Me and my boyfriend got into an argument because he cheated. And then I cheated on him after I found out. I should have left. But I didn't. He says he's over it, but he keeps asking a million questions about the details. Help. Is he really over it? Well, female and ATL, I want to thank you so much for giving me this letter. Um, I am going to ask you the same thing. If you're over it, are you asking him questions about it? And if the answer is no, then that should let you know. Unfortunately, men are very... Uh, primal creatures and whereas when women cheat we may cheat to cope and we may cheat for revenge men cheat based off of just pleasure centers she made me feel good when she talked to me or she made me feel good when she did a certain trick okay so the issue is that you've cheated and he wants to know if you had more fun cheating then he had more fun So my issue is that you stayed and now you're having to deal with this residue of his insecurity. And you're also having to deal with the residue of the fact that he may feel like the cheat that he had, it wasn't a good enough cheat and he needs to get another cheat to top it. If I were you personally, I would not give him another detail about the cheating because it's not going to change anything. It's either going to make him mad or it will perpetuate the cycle of arguments that you guys are having, or he may be getting off on it and you don't know about it. 
But what I would do to make sure that he understands, I would, if he brings up the cheating again, I would let him know that this is the last time you're going to bring it up. And if you bring it up again, I'm done. That's all you need to say. Because unfortunately, a relationship, that shouldn't be what you guys are arguing about. If anything, you guys should be arguing about starting over, renewing your relationship vows. And I know people are like, relationship vows? Hey, every relationship has had vows that you have said to each other on those lovey-dovey nights, hold it up, texting, I love you, you're my everything, I'll never forgive me. You see what I'm saying? So maybe we need to rekindle our love, rekindle that chemistry, but if we're not trying to do any of that, if we're still trying to talk about, so that dude in the past that you had, should I, uh, you need to let this go. And does that mean that you can be friends with him? Sure, be friends with him. But do you really think he's going to be friends with you? Or is he going to try to keep doing a cheating competition with you? Since I broke up with you, I've been dating this chick right here. And then she'll be prettier than you or uglier than you. And then it will get your, it'll push your buttons. So always think about that. Okay, let me know how it goes. And thank you so much for the letter. Our second letter comes from a female in California. She writes, Dear Jessica, what is up with African-American men dogging out African-American women about dating outside of their race, but they will date a white woman or woman of color that is not African-American? Please explain this to me. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, female of California, for writing me this letter. I have never really understood this either. Um, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and I went to a high school of about 3,000 kids. Our The class I graduated with, it was about 798 students, and that was after people dropped out. I was the only black female in my class. And there were only three other African-American males in my class. And it was kind of an unspoken thing where we would hang out together. But we wouldn't hang out too tight together. Because these black boys really needed a blonde cheerleader to, you know, have that status quo. So when they went to the hood, they could say, hey, I got this blonde cheerleader. It's kind of the same in society. Unfortunately, America was built on a foundation of racism, of elitism, hierarchy, misogyny, and sexism. Just, you know, to name a few. And to this day, unfortunately, there are still some African-American men who believe that having a white woman, even if she is not above standard is better than having an african-american woman because of the color of her skin we have been conditioned as a society to believe that white skin is better we have been conditioned as a society to believe that people who are my complexion are liars are thieves are but the truth of the matter is there's no such thing everybody is either good or bad, regardless of skin color. 
So when we talk about African-American men dogging white women about dating outside of their race, we have to remember that African-American men are put under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure, and they have not been given the tools to express those emotions in a valid way. So it comes out as misogynistic rhetoric, racist rhetoric. So you have to remember that. You also have to remember that African-American men, unfortunately, a lot of their minds are bad because they are listening to people about who they should or should not date. And then they get caught up in that cycle of who they should or should not date. And then they realize, oh, my God, I'm dating the wrong person. So you you don't need to be bitter about that. And I'm going to say something that RuPaul Charles says. If they're not paying your bills, pay them bitches no mind. The one thing that I realized helped me get through my life, career, personal life, private life, was when I stopped giving a shit about what my parents thought, my sisters thought, my brothers thought, my race thought, the world thought, when I could just live my authentic self. What do I like about men? What do I like about women? What are my personality traits that are compatible with this particular person? You have to go deeper than race, unfortunately. And sometimes we can't do that because we're so materialistic, we just go there. And as an African-American woman, my first boyfriend was not African-American. And believe it or not, I had a lot of African-American men tell me my nose was too big. I'm too dark. I'll never, you know what I'm saying? And they would tell me straight up. But what you have to do is you have to be secure enough in yourself to know that those guys were fucking clowns. He was a clown, he was a bozo, and he was a dumbo. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So if you see someone that you like outside of your race and they have lined up every single bullet point on your criteria of what you like in a person, you need to jump on that. Because what if that's a test? What if the universe is testing you to see if you really will do what you say you'll do. Because a lot of girls say, I'll do anything and get a man that's got all my bucket list. Girl, if he came to me right now, I would want him and I would take care of him. Okay, he came to you, but he's white. Okay, he came to you, but he's Mexican. Okay, he came to you, but he's Italian. Are you going to miss that opportunity because some black guy who's dating a white girl don't like the fact that you're dating him? Yeah, that's what that looks like. It looks like we're worried too much about what someone else is saying about our life who shouldn't have a say about it. If anything, African-Americans need to give other African-Americans a break. Give each other a break. Allow African-American men to explore their sexuality without feeling like a freak. Allow African-American women to blossom into young ladies before we start exploiting them sexually and then degrading them and telling them they look like hood rats. They look like ratchets. How about we do that? But that's the number one thing as an African-American race we need to do. We need to start leaning on each other. We need to stop judging each other. And we damn sure need to come together and love one another. If you happen to be with the same race in a relationship, more power to you. But if you don't, we shouldn't be judged about it. Because guess what? We're all one race. And that's the human race. 
So thank you so much for the letter. I hope it helped. Peace, love, and blessings to you, my sister. Stay strong. Our last and final letter comes from a male in Colorado. He writes, Dear Jessica, I am thinking about proposing to my girlfriend. She is the perfect one for me. But there's just one problem. My mother still hangs out with my ex. I want to be clear. I do not hang out with my ex. I do not see my ex, nor do I communicate with her. Should I ask my mom to stop communicating and leave her alone or ignore it? Well, male in Colorado, thank you so much for writing me this letter. Um, I was watching Divorce Court, and I know you guys are going to laugh, but that's like one of my favorite shows to watch because Judge Lynn Toler, to me, has some really good sound marriage advice. And one of the issues they were having was that the mother-in-law was still in contact with the son's ex and it had gotten so bad that the son was in tears begging his mom to call it off and then the mom pretended she didn't know what was going on so i'm going to tell you male in colorado don't let it get that far you need to tell your mother exactly how you feel now this is the thing with relationships sometimes we don't tell our parents the whole story of why we broke up because sometimes our parents can be judgmental. We can tell them some of it and they'll go, well, that's what you get. Sometimes we don't tell it all because we just don't want to hear their mouth. And then sometimes I notice, especially with African-American families, we get very frightened of our parents because they have put the fear of Jesus in us at a young age. <laughs> but you have to remember, you're not young anymore. You're about to start on a new grown ass adult journey and that is marriage and the first step to being married is the proposal then after the proposal is the engagement then after the engagement it's making sure that our families blend well that's why we have engagement parties wedding rehearsals things like that so this question that you're about to ask her it's gonna change your lives in a major way so before you do that, I would sit my mother down and I would sit my dad down and I would have some receipts because I'm a receipts kind of girl. But I would say, Mom, I know that you talked to my ex. Did you know that this is why we broke up? And you need to let her know why you broke up. Even if it was an amicable breakup, you still need to let her know that that person still hurt you. Because everybody who goes through a breakup, regardless if they say, oh, it wasn't that bad, it's still a breakup and it still is a form of rejection and it still makes you feel some type of way. Then you need to let her know how it has made you feel that she talks to that person. Yeah, it makes me feel happy, makes me feel sad, makes me feel annoyed. Whatever that emotion is, pinpoint it and let her know about it. And then after you let her know about it, let her know I am going to propose to. And I would really appreciate it if you could knock that shit off. And then after you do that, unfortunately, you're going to have to contact your ex and you may have to say to her, I know that you and my mom are very good friends, but I am about 
to embark on a journey and I would really appreciate it if you and my mother could not have as much contact as you do. This is going to seem like a headache because you're going to hear a lot of static from either one of those people. I like your mama. I like your ex. That ain't my fault that y'all broke up. She's still a friend of mine. But the truth of the matter is... There is no way in hell that you can tell me that an ex is still a friend with my parent unless they are, number one, trying to get the goods on me to see if they can still sneak in. Number two, trying to get the goods on me to see if they can still sneak in. And if your mother does not recognize that, then unfortunately, you may have to cut her off because I would hate for you to find the perfect girl for you but your mother is on your ex's side and starts to do little petty things to ruin the relationship because there's nothing worse than having a perfect relationship but the argument is always about somebody who's not in y'all's relationship so really think about that do I think you need to tell your mother yes you need to tell your mother you need to tell your daddy and you need to contact the ex but all of this needs to be nipped in the bud before you propose to her because it's no longer about the ex and if your mom doesn't get that then you need to say that it's not about her anymore it's about her she's the one I chose she is going to be in our family and we need to make sure she feels like family because no one feels good when you're supposed to be her new mom because you're mom-in-law but you're still talking to the ex right so I want to thank you so much for for the letter and let me know how it goes Well, that's all the time we have. I need your support, Team Grabbit. If you value the free and paid content that I've delivered over the years, please consider subscribing to my accounts or my official website, jessicagrabbit.com today. If you're already a subscriber, now's a great time to use the tip me feature on this Anchor app, as well as the other sites that I have. Send me an Amazon gift card or refer 10 friends that you know that will benefit from my service. Remember, Every contribution, big or small, will ensure that I am able to produce content in the years to come. One day soon, this crazy era of social distancing and hunkering down at home will be behind us. And I'll be back working out at the gym at 6.30 a.m. and camming my regular 10 to 11 a.m. shift. And I know all of you are having fantasies about getting immersed in some of the out-of-the-house activities once again. But for now... Every one of us needs alternative ways to escape, and I aim to be that escape. So long, and remember, be good, or be good at it. Until next time, bye.